0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues Podcast. This week on our panel, we have Catherine Myers. Hello, hello. Eric Berry. Hey! David Richards. Hello! I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I'm back. I took a few weeks off because I needed some time. Uh, This week, we're talking to Mindogas Mozuras. Hello, everyone. I didn't slobber your name, did I? (laughs) It's... uh... 90% 90% there. 90%.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, You're,
0: You're not even close. <laughs> hey, folks, I just got an A-
2: in Lithuanian. Um, <laughs> so can you introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm Luis Musuras, uh, and uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I come from Vilnius, Lithuania. I work here at Vinted. I started at Vinted six years ago as a software developer, uh, and now I'm leading uh, the engineering part of the organization. Awesome! In
0: fact, we talked a little bit about this on your My Ruby story, and we started getting into it about hiring. And I was like, "No, this needs to be an episode." So uh, we invited you back. Yeah, and I'm uh, looking forward to speaking about it. Awesome. I'm kind of curious, though. I, I hear a lot of people talking about how hard it is to hire. And I'm wondering, is it different in Lithuania than it is in the rest of the world? Or do you think you're facing a lot of the same
2: problems as everyone else? I think that we're facing a lot of the same problems. When, when I look at how easy other parts of our organization have it with hiring, uh, I'm kind of jealous. Uh, you know, when we when try to hire someone for, let's say, a marketing role, there's a huge inflow of uh, CVs. And they then invite the candidates and they pick the best one. When trying to hire a developer, uh, there are a couple of CVs, and then you have to do a lot of the, of the hiring job yourself, like writing to people via LinkedIn, reaching out via the network in the organization, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it, I would say it's, 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 it's not easy to find great developers. Gotcha. So why do you, why do you think that is? It's a it's a growing it's a growing market and there are a lot of uh, organizations trying to find great great developers and they're doing a lot of things to keep them. So, develop the developers have uh, their their the ability to pick to pick the best job for for them.
3: Uh,
4: in the States, we have a lot of boot camps. They are they're giving us an influx of a lot of junior developers. Is that the case in Lithuania as well? Any boot camps?
2: There are some boot camps. Uh, there are some organizations training developers. The, the hard thing about that is that it does not necessarily solve everything, right? Because when building a team, we want to build a team that's that's not just junior developers, right? Of we course. want to have a, a senior person or a more senior person for every junior developer that we have. So that the developer would have, would have a mentor. So, yeah, of course, it's it's a bit easier with, with junior people. Uh, but uh, if, if, if you're a growing organization like we are, it's it's still difficult.
4: In order to hire a junior developer, you have to have the resources to train them. But I think a lot of companies really just dismiss that idea and don't realize what they what they can get reap from that, from training a junior dev.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think that there's a lot of value in hiring more junior people.
4: Mm-hmm. They definitely uh, need a, a balance.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think that the more junior people bring... Uh, some real energy to the team, and they some some real enthusiasm, and they affect everyone around them with that. And I think I think that also the, the more junior people have an effect on senior people in a sense that the, the, the senior people are like really they really want to be a role model to those junior people, and so they bit so they straighten themselves a bit uh, and, and uh, try try to be that role model. That's great. So I have to
0: ask then, because I've had companies actually call me up and they're like, look, can you just spend five minutes and help us find a senior developer? And I'm like, well, why don't you hire a junior developer and train them? You know, because they're like, we've looked everywhere, you know, and I'm telling them, go to the user groups and stuff. And some do and some don't. But anyway, the reason they won't hire a junior developer is, well, we're moving so fast that we don't have time to bring somebody along. Or we've hired juniors and then after a year they leave. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they, they have this concern, right, where it's I don't want to hire them because I'm afraid it's not going to work out. And, mm-hmm. and I think I think it's an option. I think these people just aren't properly handling some of those issues.
4: Well, in order I, to retain someone junior, you have to also be able to scale with their salary,
0: Oh, no way.
4: (laughs) Imagine that.
0: Pardon my sarcasm. I've said that so many times.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's also interesting, too, if you bring in a junior and you have to explain really basic things and then to realize three weeks later, three months later, they're way beyond that. And so to stop, keep seeing them as a junior, you know. So sometimes maybe it's hard to bring them up in salary because, oh, yeah, I remember that was that time I had to tell them what an editor was or something really basic, <laughs> right? And like, yeah, that was four years ago, you idiot. This person is is the backbone of your organization. Treat them right.
0: Um, yeah, it's it's tricky, though, because sometimes people get pigeonholed into that, right? I mean, the new guy is the new guy for eight years until you hire a new new guy, right? <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> we're pretty, you know, with, with with a job that's so expensive to hire developers. We're pretty dumb at how we treat each other. <laughs> like, let's, let's think for a minute, you know, we're buying basically. A, I don't know, depending where you are in the in the world, but you're buying a half or a quarter or a house every single year. It's like, yeah, let's just uh, forget that we have that bathroom there <laughs> and overuse the one that ba- you know. It's just silly how we we treat each other.
0: Yeah. You have to scale Sorry. the salary. And I think we also pulled out that you have to continually reassess where they're at so mm-hmm. that you can use them properly, use their skills properly and help them continue to grow. Is that what I'm getting from what everyone's saying?
4: Yes. absolutely.
0: So
3: well, I think it, it fits well too. I was reading one of your blog articles here, the one on a uh, user guide to me.
4: Oh my gosh. Yes.
3: Talk about people first. You know, it's like I see probably. My primary objective of building a healthy team organization, I build, believe that happy, informed and productive people create great things. I mean, there there it is right there. And I'm yeah. reading it from, from you. So thanks for writing that.
4: Yeah. Can you tell us more about the user guide to me? That was the first time I had seen something like that. Um, how did you find out about this and why did you write it?
2: So uh, the first example I saw was from Rance. Uh, he wrote How to Rance and it was his a user guide to, to him. Uh, I like the idea and I like the idea of putting down how I see my job and how I how, you know, that's and I saw that that might be something useful to my current team and I also saw it as something useful to my future future team so I also put the, the link of this user guide to the job ad we have for team and I've, I've had good, good uh, feedback from, from candidates on that. Uh, them understanding w- w- how I look at my role, help them understand what that relationship between me and, and them would, would be.
4: I think it's so great that it clearly sets up expectations, um, which I think some people can leave to assumption, which is always a bad idea. Um, and it also, I like the quirks. Uh, section, you know, or you can say, "Hey, I'm a human being, and here are my quirks. Here are the things I'm working on," um, and it creates this this wonderful interpersonal um, start to the relationship where it's like, "I'm a fallible human being. You're a fallible human being. We're all growing."
2: The the best feedback the best feedback I had on, on uh, this user guide is actually. Uh, I actually received today uh, by another uh, my my peer at the company uh, sending me his user guide for feedback. Uh, so yeah, that that I like very much. Well, and I think that's important too because it's not just then.
0: Here's how I expect you to interact with me, or here's the kind of relationship I expect us to have professionally. But then he's coming back and he's saying. Is, is this how you envision me fitting into the team, right? Is this what you hired me to do? Is this where you want me to be? And if you can give people pieces of that up front and then let them fill in the rest of it, it seems like a really powerful tool because in the end, it's like, yeah, I, I think this is accurately represents where you are. And it's kind of then an unwritten or unsigned agreement that basically says, this is the way we're going to interact. And you've stated the case for why you're going to get done what we need done. And I can treat you the way you want to be treated. Yep. Speaking of which, how do you give them those pieces? How do you write up job roles? How do we write up job roles? Yeah. So if you're hiring somebody or when, you know, so you put that usually in the job listing or mm-hmm. once they're hired, how do you tell them, you know, how you expect them to operate and things like that?
2: So we, Okay, so where do I start with that? It's a pretty broad question. So when we we start by figuring out what we need, right? Uh, when we when we want to hire someone, uh, it's not because we just want to increase the headcount. We want to hire someone for some specific job, and when we have that figure out, figured out, it's it's not that hard to write a job ad. Uh, the thing there are a couple of things that are slightly different with our job ads compared to other job ads. So one thing we do, we don't, we don't write a lot about skills we expect from the candidate. So there's no like, so, so there's no line that says, we want you to know Ruby. Uh, that's not a requirement for us. Uh, we, we write up what the job is and if you would like this job, If you're interested in this job, we're willing to consider you. And for example, a lot of the engineers that work at Vinted currently uh, have not had a lot of Ruby experience beforehand. And then when the person comes into the job, we have weekly one-on-ones. We have quarterly performance reviews when when the lead of that person talks with that person about what is expected from him, how good he's doing, and what how he can grow further at the company there's a lot there to unpack
3: <laughs> well, I, I love the openness of of allowing somebody to be who they are and then allowing that to fit openly, you know like like to to further the company to get involved because I can't really i'm i'm I get frustrated with people that think that they can define that for me or define that for anybody. It's like what you brought to the table, the complexity of you is is, is too much to even begin to fathom. So as long as you have motivation, skills, and support, you're gonna do great things. And that's really what the organization can do for somebody, rather than, hey, look, I need you to fill this specific niche the way I, I saw it beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, In in the 1950s, Peter Drucker started talking about the knowledge worker. And he said, guys, our economy is different. He's saying this in the 1950s. And he says the the, the real value add is what people do between their ears, and you can't control that. So you have to start managing differently. So you think about like way back in the 1800s, uh, people were measuring the size of a coal shovel to figure out how much work they can get out of somebody. And they'd have time, start times and clock in, clock out and rules and policies for everything. But now you've got somebody whose motivation and commitment and what they did the night before that all affects whether or not they're productive today. <laughs> and, and you don't really control that. So all you can do is create an environment and a goal. To, you know, you set somebody in a direction, say, hey, guys, we're going for that hill. We want to climb that hill and, and uh, we know you've got what it takes. So let's do this together. Anyway, it's just a complete shift in thinking. And I, and I like how you're reminding me of these things.
2: <laughs> well, and, and, and I absolutely agree with what you just said about showing, the pe- showing people the goal and just letting them go at it. And we take it to a, cer- to a certain extreme when we also ask the people to tell us, how do you want to grow? Tell us how you want to grow, and then we'll see if how that matches what we want to do at Vinted, and we're going to help you grow in the direction you want.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, I want. I once had an
3: experience where I I walked up to an intern because the intern had helped me out with some projects, and I asked this person, um, "Do you do you see yourself doing this kind of work in the future? You did a great job here. Is this in your future?" And this person starts thinking about it and they get this smile and this look in their face. And then their boss says, no, no, absolutely not. They're not doing that. And I thought, oh my goodness, we need to fire that boss today. You know, that person, you know, this person thinks that because he's higher in the organization, he could have determined what this other person is going to do with their life. And are we going to be able to build an organization with people if we tell them who they are and, 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 Like no, (laughs) set a goal and see who's going to show up to 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 help out with it.
4: Wow, that sounds so damaging.
3: Oh man, it's um, I I try to keep my stories very vague, so you don't know if it happened six weeks ago or sixteen years ago. But um, it happened long enough ago that uh, I had to look these people up
0: again and see what they did with their lives. I think it's interesting too. I mean, I've done probably two hundred. Uh, my something stories, Ruby, JavaScript, or Angular. Um, Maybe not quite that many, but I've I've talked to at least 100 people. And there are a large number of them that, you know, it was like, how did you get into programming? And it turned out, well, the company I was working at, I was working in marketing or sales or design or something. And uh, the company needed a website or they were having trouble with this particular aspect of their IT infrastructure. And I programmed a way around it. And that's how they got into programming. And so by forcing somebody into the box, it I mean, what are you missing out on? You know, what, what opportunities are you missing because somebody is not allowed to think outside the box?
4: Yeah, hiring developers is hard enough. You don't want to set a strict filter and have people either self-select out when they, they shouldn't or, you know, select people out when they could really add value.
1: Yeah. In, it, in my experience, I've seen that the uh, – I worked for a company before, and we did hire a junior developer, and he was very junior, and we knew he was very junior coming in. But what ended up happening is that our company wasn't structured in a way that empathized with that situation. So he ended up getting a really raw deal and kind of being shoved to the side and ignored a little bit because of the pressures of the startup that we were in. And so I think when we look at hiring juniors on, it's not just our desire as developers. It's also, is the environment set up in a way that will enable them for success? Because if not, then likely that's probably not the right way to go. Um, or it's not the place we should be working. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, How not you... every
4: place is set up for junior devs and that's okay. Yeah.
2: How do you determine if it's set up for a junior
1: dev?
4: Good question. Hmm? L-
1: let me throw that right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice.
2: Uh I think that the, for us the key requirement is, is if the, is there a, is a more senior person who's ready to mentor the more junior. That, that's that's number one on the list. Uh, and if that's if, and if that's okay and if that's there, uh, I think that all the other things will will figure them out. What's on your list?
1: Oh, I think that it's two, it's two part. You have the you have the. Um... The senior that's willing to work with them, but also the time to do so. Um, mm-hmm. you, you know, in my situation, we were two senior developers that were building a a pretty big application um, and we were so tight on um we were so tight on time that the ability to really work. I mean, it's a commitment, right? To bring on a junior, you got to spend, you got to allocate probably 20% of your your time in total to the growth of that developer. Um, so one, it takes a special kind of person to mentor, right? Um, some people might get frustrated mentoring or might be like, ah, you know, why don't you get this? Or... Well, let me just do it or something like that and get really frustrated. I've seen that in the past. Um, but also, I, you know, I, I love the idea of hiring juniors because there really are no seniors out there that are available. And if there are, they probably get an offer a week. Um, but there has to be the right environment to enable the junior to succeed. And that may or may not be within your control as a senior.
3: I've also been noticing, I love what you're saying. Well, you guys are saying about this. Um, I've just recently started noticing that as a senior person on a team, I can be intimidating and I can, you know, my, my way of the highway comes up gently in ways I don't notice, you know, like I'm not being that brusque with them, but it feels that way on the other side of the table. And so having the mentality to mentor it requires some empathy and some awareness of, of how the other person's doing. Um, I've, I've seen it used in very harmful ways. And that's how I'm starting to realize, oh, man, I bet I could do better. Um, so I 100% agree. That's how you bring somebody in. You build up a team. And I'm starting to learn that I've got to, that there's more to learn here. I, ha- I haven't arrived yet, <laughs> that uh, I'm going to keep learning how to be a better mentor and senior uh, member of a team. Because, you know, that's got to be really intimidating because I, the thing that's weird to me too, is I, I notice this all the time that I'll, I'll listen to a junior programmer talk and sometimes the types of questions they ask come out of left field. Like they're, they have a very different mentality about what are we doing? Um, you know, they're struggling with skills or memory or muscle memory or feeling like, Did they do a good job or, you know, how do they get past this frustration? They're not used to the kind of the rigor of writing software. And so sometimes they're really kind of struggling with things that are underneath the surface. So having the empathy of knowing, okay, they're here and I really want to build them here because I want them to replace me. They're going to be the leader here very, very soon. And so I got to get out of the way. So it takes a lot of empathy to get them to that position and then let them fly and then just support them when they want it later. Yeah.
4: yeah. Being a good teacher is something you have to work at. You know, some people do have it naturally, but, but it's something that is you have to be conscious about and, and know how to teach. And it is important for, I think, every developer to do that. Um, you're going to become a develop, better developer. You know, I, some quote by Albert Einstein, which I'm, going to, I don't remember exactly, but you're going to, you're going to know if you actually understand something, if you can explain it to someone else. And if you can actually do that with empathy, then, Hey, you're building your own communication skills, which can only help.
0: Yeah. And I I just want to reiterate what you said, as far as, you know, it takes practice. And it's interesting. um, If you read Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Outliers, um, he talks about this and some people have a natural talent. And I think Catherine, you can speak to this. Um, and some people have a natural singing talent, but the ones that really make it are the ones that practice,
1: mm-hmm. right? Definitely. I mean,
0: I, I could have been born with a terrific singing voice, but I never practiced it. So you're the one that went and was an opera singer instead of me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and that that's the difference, right? Um, I focused in other areas and so I've excelled in other areas. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same with teaching. And I think some people think that you know, you have to be some kind of natural communicator, but the people that are really, really good at something are the ones that practice it.
3: Well, and that's what I always bring people back to as well. Whatever we're doing, whether we're learning to teach or learning to code or whatever, or learning to be as good as Eric
0: is, <laughs> 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 that right? yeah, you all don't know this, but Eric's a genius coder. No, he really
4: is. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs>
3: Oh my! God. Well, it's interesting because we're talking about empathy, and I'm thinking about well, wait a minute. How did I start noticing where I could improve? And I could remember a time I watched Eric teach somebody something on a team we were on together. Like, yes, Eric was one of the reasons I realized I had to. I, you know, I could up, I could level up. And uh, so, hold,
1: hold on here. Hold this on. This happened. Here. This happened. I can read names. No, I can no, tell no. you times and places. This happened. Eric's we're not, not worthy. worthy. We're, <laughs> not, we're <laughs> uh, I uh, Hold on, hold on. I think I got the perfect thing for this. Did you hear that at all? Uh-uh, no. no. <laughs> Never mind. Right, was perfect for me. <laughs> well, yeah, it's building
3: that confident practice. It's it's going, it's doing the thing. Um, I found an article, my pick today or later uh, in the show will be a, an article I found about learning to learn. And having these, you know, they're using, um, it's really a great article. I'll talk about it. We'll talk about it later. But the idea is that building a confident practice means there's some choices that we make. And that we have to do some things that get us playing the whole game, get us involved with the thing we're, we're doing next. And it doesn't come naturally. And usually the distractions or the stresses of the day will take us far away from that. And so it takes it takes committed action to actually keep bringing us back to that central practice that's going to make us, you know, put us in our genius zone, you know, in that place where we're our best selves. We work with the best kinds of people on the best kinds of projects, you know, using mm-hmm. our best skills and, and experience, you know, and, and trying to get all that together. We have to take some really important steps, you know, to, to stay there. Otherwise, I get zipped off into some other direction and then it's mm-hmm. no fun for anybody. <laughs>
4: It's also important for companies to reevaluate where they are in terms of ability to hire junior devs. You know, in the very, very beginning, when you have six months to build an entire app and, you know, you may not have the time or the space to hire junior devs there, reevaluate Later on, and see if you do. I think it's easy to get um, boxed into that more short-term view of like, oh, we have these amazing genius engineers like Eric Berry, and yeah. why would we ever hire anyone sure. less than Eric Berry? <laughs>
1: but you know, anybody who's hired to me in the past is listening to be like. Uh. <laughs>
4: but then you have to shift from short term to long term and long term is where you're really going to reap the value of a junior dev if you can do what you can to keep them um, which is very different from keeping a mid or senior dev
0: well that's that's something that i think is so funny is that um, i've worked with a number of senior devs and some of them they just cannot shake the bad habits they've built at other places or they can't adapt to what's different at the place that they're at. Junior devs, you get to teach them how you do it. Look, this is how we work. This is how it works. And it just becomes normal to them, right? And then you build them up as this expert in your system. And so if you're not taking care of them and give them, giving them the opportunities to grow, you're going to lose them.
1: hmm Very much.
0: I, I uh, was explaining
3: this to our, our current... Um, uh vp of engineering uh we started our current company with a bunch of seniors i mean we we rolled out three ctos from our team to a director two managers i mean amazing people that have left the team now have gone on to do great things and i told him look you know we started because we were in a rush and we built something fast with seniors but the way you're going to build an organization is with juniors and that we become t-shaped people we'll, we'll get good at one thing and become generalists in lots of things. And that if we build that together, we can actually create a, a harmony between people a lot easier than trying to fit seniors in, in a bucket. Because we don't get along. We have, like, like, like Jack to say, we do not get along. We all are stuck in our own bad habits and yell at each other and treat each other terribly. Not that it was this way where I'm at, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying I've done that a lot where seniors can really be harsh. And juniors can be really smart um, and really adaptive. And um, yeah, I wish I wasn't senior. (laughs) I'd probably be a better
0: worker if I wasn't so stuck in my habits. Well, one thing that I would like, I'm going to change the direction of the conversation just a little bit, uh, because we're talking about the kinds of people we want to hire and some of the opportunities that come with some of the people that we would hire. Um, And and Mindogas specifically with you, What's your process for figuring out if these are the people you want to hire? Because that's the other thing is I hear people and they're like, well, you know, we brought them in for an interview and we didn't really like any of them. And, And you talk to them for a minute and you realize they don't know anything about any of them. And so, you know, how do you get around that and figure out, oh, this person, this person's the kind of person we want on our team, or this person has the right mindset or whatever it is you're looking for.
2: Well, the first rule is that if it's Eric Berry, then you hire him, obviously. Obviously.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Eric's going to get such a big head after this episode.
0: (laughs) 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 I'll I'll take him golfing. From what he's told me, that'll bring his head size down just a little bit.
2: So,
1: you all are jerks.
2: Um and, and and yeah yeah the second rule is um we have a quite a vigorous uh uh interview process uh we we do an intro meeting first that's just you know getting to know the person as a person and introducing him to the company then we have a technical homework uh where the 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 candidate can take that homework home and do that and however However, in the, when he has some free time and then we have a technical interview and then after the technical interview, we also have a two-day tryout with, with, within the company. So hiring just one single person takes quite a lot of work and quite a lot of time, but it gives us a really good view on the candidate, and it also gives the candidate quite a good view on the, of the company.
0: Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute, flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash rubyrogues.
4: Do you approach hiring um, and your interview process differently between people with non-traditional backgrounds versus those with CS degrees? Or do you just go at it the same way?
2: We we do it the same way. yeah i don't think there's any any difference between how we 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 don't really look at the degree of the candidate as a big factor at all and uh, yeah the homework itself is is not it does not require any cs skills it's quite a simple quite a simple task It, it does not require data structure algorithms knowledge it requires you to know how to write clean code and how to structure an object-oriented program.
3: That, that sounds humane. I've I've I know some of the coding challenges some some um, development uh, departments uh, create. They're like they're, they're too tough, and so people go spend two weeks and they go work for two weeks on so trying to make this really good and to get a job, and um, so it's really tough. It's like no no no. We just want to see that you're comfortable. You know, we're just looking for a comfort level. You're there. You know, if you, if you came on the first day, you'd probably be able to to commit some code and work with somebody um, rather than you know everything or you're willing to to work for free for a very long time for a, a chance to work with us. So it sounds very humane the way you structured your problem.
0: Yep. You don't yep. pull out the whiteboard and tell them to build Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no. <laughs> You know, one thing that I found that really works in those interview uh, uh, interviews is I just get them to teach me something like I, I leave it open ended and I just I'm looking for how do they think and can they simplify complex things into simple ideas? You know, so it doesn't matter. I don't care if it's how to walk their dog. I just want them to teach me and I want to 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 see how do they think and it takes the mm-hmm. pressure off because they already care about it. They already know about it. They can choose. And they can relax. And I'm just looking for. What would it be like to collaborate with this person you know how do they think can they break down a problem um you know is there any anything that would indicate that you know if we were working on a project together that we really couldn't work together because you know there's so much that we do that's not about the code right it's collaborating and teaching and fixing and watching each other and planning and designing and we do a lot of other things besides just coding and so if i can see how they act and how they are um, that will make sure that, hey, yeah, we're, we're good. It's more of an open-door policy than, you know, instead of prove to me you're good enough to work with me, it's like, hey, how would we work together? You know, and what could work well? And could I see this? And could you see this? And then to flip the, the tables a little bit, sometimes I'll, I'll in, an, in an interview with somebody, I'll, I'll tell them a the problem we're having at the company and brainstorm with them. Like, hey, this is where we're at. This is our biggest risk. Uh, I'm worried about this. This is what I think about it so far. And I kind of show them my, my faults and things that they're going to have to deal with. And And are they okay with, you know, the problems that we're at right now? You know, if, if they saw me for, you know, my organization for, you know, a, a, a faulty, troubling, <laughs> you know, imperfect place, we're we're getting better as well. Can they, can they work with that? Can they start from where we're at and go up? Um, sometimes we'll I'll work with people and they just have they either work with much more formal organizations than I do or they they just can't handle the the messiness that we have they you know they, they can't help us clean it so sometimes the the problem isn't their knowledge the problem is their their men their mentality is is coming from a very different perspective
2: i uh, I also love questions that ask the candidate to tell about tell me about their experiences. Yeah. So on the, that's the first part you, t- you talked about. I asked them what they did, at, what, what are they doing at the current company? Uh, what, what was fun? What kind of struggles they had? And I really tried to dig into that uh, tr- to understand how they approach those, those problems, how they approach work, how they approach other people, etc., well, I think that's important because it goes
0: back again to that. Are they going to be happy here? You know, are they the kind of person that's going to work well under the circumstances that we operate and things like that? Because the, the, work, the last thing you want to do is hire somebody, spend three months training them and then go, oh, that was a mistake.
4: Has that ever happened to you?
1: Um,
2: yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, yeah.
4: Were there any know. clues that you or red flags that you ignored? Um,
2: there were some clues. Uh, we decided that uh, it's worth the risk, basically, and it didn't work out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I had an sorry. I had an experience once where
3: um, I knew somebody. I was working with somebody and they were going to go work at a different place. And I knew the people that worked at the other place and I knew the problems they had had. And I, so I sat down to lunch with this person and I said, okay, look, this is what you're walking in. And he's like, no, no, I don't think so. No, I think it's going to be okay. It's like, no, I, I know this is true. You know, that, just as long as you're comfortable with, these are your problems. And, um, he went there and then three months later, I'm talking to him. I says, well, how are things going? I says, well, I, I moved on, <laughs> you know, and it, it was true that those problems were there and it's okay, you know, and he's fine and everything's fine. But it's just like, yeah, it's, sometimes it's hard during the interview process. We, we believe what we want to believe, you know, they'll present themselves some way and we kind of want to, you know, we're imagining ourselves in this role, right? We're imagining ourselves solving these problems and and having a particular influence or, Particular types of challenges and and it looks like our genius spot, so we want to go for it, and if it's true, then we should and <laughs> but if the interview process is getting in the way of, of us seeing whether or not that's true, then that's that's a problem
2: yeah and in our case, we were very open with the candidate with that candidate, so he knew what he was getting into, and he knew that it was not a perfect match from the beginning, but he was willing to give it a try and then you know. We parted ways in a, in a friendly way, not
0: in a, oh, no
2: mm-hmm. way. Well,
3: it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, um, like being humane and still holding that business line. You know, there's, there's still some contract involved, some exchange of, of goods and services. And, uh, and so but being able to see that person first and, and protect that and create an environment where they can work well so that we can go deliver something. You know, I think that that's the balance. You know, it's nice to be nice, but it's important to also, you know, achieve goals. Um, so I like that idea of uh, an organization is a sum of vectors. It comes from Elon Musk. And the idea is that uh, we're all going in a direction with so much momentum. And then it's just a question, are we going in the same direction? Do we have enough momentum? And then um, so having the balance of saying, yeah, so we're going to achieve this goal. We're going to ship software that works. It's going to connect with either internal or external customers to achieve something. Um, That's what we're going to do. And so being able to create a humane environment where we can treat each other well and keep an eye on what are we delivering. We can be hard-nosed in the sense that reality, results don't lie. And we can be very kind in the sense of, okay, but how we are going to get there? That's up to us and what we have. You know. And if we're going to do it a little bit differently, that's because we're good to each other. And, but we're still going to get there.
0: I like the idea. I'm just going to pick one or two things out of what you said, Dave, or David. Um, one of them is... You know, you talked about all heading in the right direction, and I, I think that's really important. And I think we've talked a bit about fit and things like that. Um, but I'm kind of curious, and I know uh, Mendogas, you have some experience with this. What happens if the direction changes?
2: What happens if the direction changes? So right. So
0: we, your your organization changes direction, yeah, or you yeah. have to reorganize or things like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. We we had quite a big experience with that uh, two years ago. Almost two years ago, we uh, the company was not doing very well, uh, to say to say the least. So what happened is that we did we we threw a hail mary. Uh, we did one final strategy change, and because we changed the strategy, we also needed to change the company. So we did we did a reorg. As part of that reorg, we needed to say goodbye to. Around twenty percent of our of our people, not because they were bad people, but because they no longer fit into the the company that was that was uh, um, that the, the future the future of the company, um, and uh, that rework was a, a very stressful and a very difficult experience, and uh, it, we needed to reassess. Everything from top to bottom. And I'm glad to say that that York worked. Uh, so now Vented is a profitable company. We had our first profitable month in September, and that was the first profitable month in the 10 years that Vented exists. You know, overnight success and all. And uh, I think that the key go, going through that reorg was to be very open with with everyone in the company of what's going on. So from mm-hmm. this, so from the moment we started considering uh, this as an option, uh, we you know we didn't communicate everything to the whole company, but everyone in the company knew our financial situation, uh, you know how much money we have in the bank and how much money we're burning every month. Uh, so it was not a huge surprise when the real happened and everyone understood why it's happening and what we're going to do next and some pe- and we gave an option to people like do you want to stay with us? That's the first thing that we asked uh, to the people that we wanted to stay with us and some of them said no and that, that was a very, that, that was their choice and now they're happily at our companies and you know, we're, we're happy with, and the people that stayed are also happy here.
4: I applaud your transparency. Mm-hmm. I think Thank that's you. one great way to retain employees.
2: And I think that's that's really key to, to hiring. Like, uh, it's it's not about perks or that foosball table or that table tennis table or that Xbox or the fancy office. It's, I don't know, I drink a lot of soda.
0: <laughs> the free soda is an important perk for me. Okay, it's, it's, okay, it's soda.
2: Then build <laughs> number one, number yeah. Then it's building a great company, having a product that uh-huh. is attractive to 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 your current employees and future employees, and then building a great team. It's not about it's not about a tab- table, tennis table. It's uh, it's it's about a company.
3: I know somebody who's was asked to go through a large organization that, um, had developed too much of a culture of goofing around, um, and figure out how to, who to let go. Um, wow. so it'd gotten to the point where, uh, everybody was goofing around so much and some people just were doing nothing. And so, um, it, you know, it was just, now it's time to, to clean up the whole shop. And, and it's a little bit disingenuous when you have a, an office full of playthings, things, things <laughs> you know, a, a whole game room and, and table tennis and all these tools, all these uh, relaxation tools are there. But when people build up habits around them and then people kind of let them know, I mean, you've got to set, I think you've got to set an expectation that yes, relax, you've got to relax, but deliver as well and, and be very well known for what you're delivering. Um, and that way there's, there's a balance, but yeah, building a culture around games is dangerous because it, you know, and, and and any of us can get in that loop of, yeah, I'm tired. I'm burned out. I worked really hard on the last project. I'm going to play a little bit more games I'll play a little more games pretty soon. I forget what I'm there for. Um, so having a quick way to recover from a hard project or to blow off steam when things are rough, but yeah, it really, isn't about that. Is it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I like, and we've talked our way around this a bit, is just the focus on results, right? And um, so I'm on the board of my kid's school, and the way that we manage this is we do what's called policy governance. So we set policies that govern how the, um, the director or principal of the school um, does things, and it has all of the outcomes in it, right? And so, you know, it's, here's how, here are the outcomes we want with regards to the board. Here are the outcomes we want with regards to the kids' education, blah, 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 right? But then we leave all of the ends up to him. And so if he, I mean, if he wants to bring all the kids in the gym and stand on his head and juggle and play the flute, and they reach all of those educational outcomes, he keeps his job. Of course, he's hired teachers and done things the more traditional way, which is probably a better way to achieve those outcomes. But you know, and then I, so I think, yeah, the kind of the goofing off or having those things, the the foosball table or whatever there, it can be a positive thing, but yeah, just make sure that you're focused on those results. And if those people are getting you what you want, keep them. And if they aren't, then have a talk with them and figure out how you can get there to get you where you need to be.
3: You know, there's this, this great book called Flow. It came out a long time ago and I've just been reading it recently. And it's about that. It's, it turns out that um, uh, contentment in life doesn't come from having fun. It usually comes from having a challenge and going towards a goal. And so they find that the most content people, they tend to be in professional sports or performers or in music or the arts, or they do things where they've wanted to achieve something and then they've aligned their lives towards that thing. And and I I find that long-term, mid-term, that's what I'm looking for for myself as well is that, so you know, yeah, I've done so many projects, I can't even name them all. And I, I don't even know, you know, so the work doesn't matter, but the outcome does. And, and who I've become through the process, uh, you know, the refinement in me that I start to say like, yeah, I've become a more empathetic person. I've become more creative. I can break down problems better. I'm a better teacher. You know, I, I, I can create confidence in a team of people and, and I enjoy doing those kinds of things. That's my genius spot. So to me, yeah, contentment rather than happiness and having a goal rather than, um, you know, trying to defend my position or something. And, and maybe that's a little bit hard in agile environments because we do these one, two week sprints sometimes and we keep, you know, we, we do a lot to uh, perform well in the short term. And so it's a little bit harder. It comes from inside, I guess, that, that longer term contentment. comes from either me or my leaders or my management or executive team or somebody, you know, to keep an eye on the ball and not just get sucked into the the sprint, you know, and the the ever busy work, um, but have something I'm going for.
4: You also have to be really deliberate in your time to reflect so that you can see all of those different ways that you have improved. Um, I remember having a really tough year and, you know, the yearly review came around and I was thinking back on everything I had achieved in the past year. And I was like, damn, I'm so much better at all this stuff than I, than I was a year ago. And it was such an important part of seeing my, my growth. And so having those time to reflect is so important to see where you've come and, and really feel that, that confidence gain from that.
2: Absolutely. That's part of the thing. Uh, That's something that we teach all our leads to do, to help people reflect. And during one-on-ones, during quarterly reviews, during yearly reviews, it's it's really important part of any, any growth.
4: Very true. And it's easy to forget about that. If you don't have someone to some external factor asking you to review yourself, it's easy to just keep on going and not realize how awesome you are, how close <laughs> you are to being Eric Berry. <laughs>
3: Oh my <laughs> <hell>. <laughs> <laughs> See, I have to have <laughs> that <longer laughs> in front of me.
4: <laughs> Eric, I have a picture of you on my wall. Just as in.
1: <laughs> <The> motivational poster. <laughs> Dude. Not one of you know how I code except for maybe David. <laughs> I, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Only person that can back me up is David and I'm nowhere near as good as David. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to push this
0: to one more topic before we uh, wrap up. And that is, um, I see that you started a, a leadership meetup group last year yep. for, for tech leads. And I find that there are a couple of groups that sort of get ignored as far as people creating content or groups specifically for them. One is sort of the, the mid-level developer where, you know, you're not brand new, so you're not getting the tutorials on, on the, you know, here's how you code. And then a lot of other stuff seems to be targeted at more advanced people who are just trying to keep up and the mid-level folks is they kind of get lost in the, what do I do next? And the other one is tech leads. And the, yep. the tech leads is basically, you know, it's okay, I, I've got all these coding skills and now I have to people, <laughs> right? Or or I have to organization, right? I have to deal with the organization. I have to deal with the people. And, and they, they don't scary. have a good API for that. <laughs> so, so yeah,
2: so, so tell us about the, the tech lead meetup. So that's exactly the experience I went through. So when I became... A lead, uh, I looked around, uh, and I found not not much. There was no meetup group in Vilnius. There were no obvious conferences to go to. Uh, it was uh, it was very difficult to find a way, to find someone who could help me grow, uh, besides inside a, inside the company. So eventually, I found a lead conference that... Uh, that uh, first started in London and is, and is now, I think, in Austin and Sydney. Mm-hmm. And it's a great conference. I've been to it three times. I think maybe four. Uh, I, I lost count. The last one and, was a
0: couple weeks ago,
2: right? Yeah, uh, that one I did not participate One, in. Okay. But, um, so I think it's three times. Uh, anyway, so I went there. I, I enjoyed the conference a lot. I enjoyed meeting the people there and it was an amazing experience. Then next year, I went there with my team and we had a blast. And then I uh, thought to myself, I want to have something like that in Vilnius. I, you know, this conference happens once a year. Uh, it's not enough. I want more. And I decided to start a meetup group. Uh, it took me a while uh, to, to really to really start with it, uh, but then eventually I did, and it's been going on since uh, September. Uh, we had eight meetups so far, and the feedback has been amazing. And I've, there is a lot more interest in it than I expected. We I think at one at one meetup we had uh, around almost a hundred people here, which. Oh, wow. at first, yeah. At first I expected like something like 20-30 will gather at each meetup at the most. So the reception has been amazing. And I, my goal here is to increase the to increase the level of tech, technology leadership in, in Vilnius. And I I hope that this meetup helps. And uh, the most amazing, amazing feedback that I get is when someone comes up to me and says, I was lost, I didn't know what to do, but then I met someone and I heard something during this meetup and it was very helpful. So, And I've heard that from a couple of people and it's I'm very thankful for, for, for that feedback.
0: Awesome. So if people
2: are in Vilnius, how do they find it? Uh, you can... You can just go to techleads.lt, and then you're gonna be redirected to the meetup page. And the next meetup is in September. We were, we're now taking a short summer break, but we already have three speakers for the first meetup for the first meetup in September. And uh, you know, I'll see everyone there. You're all coming, right?
4: I've already <laughs> booked my tickets.
0: Awesome. So if people want to find you online, where do they go?
2: Uh, my blog is at codingfearlessly.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at M Masouris. So my the letter of the first letter of my first name and my last name. You can also find me on GitHub uh, with that with that same nickname. And that's that's the three key places where you can find me, I think.
0: Awesome.
2: Anything else anyone else wants to bring up before we do
0: picks? All right, let's do picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. David, do you want to start us off with picks?
3: sure sure so I, I mentioned one of these picks it's this way to learn and so uh, this article i'm sharing is studying to the hilt why learning should look more like exercise and it's it's really an article that really uh, gets us into how we learn and what we can do smarter and how to actually build that confident practice and it's a really good article um i think they've got 30 footnotes in this this little article and the other one, and, and it comes up in the article as well, you know, we need time to exercise. We need time to take breaks. We need time to get away from the learning in order to learn better. And so, my other pick is getting outdoors. We're, we're recording this the day before the 4th of July in the United States. Everybody's having barbecues and getting out there. Um, I took my Saturday out, I, I did working up in the uh, high mountains near me and um, got to go up to a lake and walk around, and record some podcasts with my daughter do some work while I was out there. Getting outdoors is great for the brain. (laughs) So have some fun uh, this summer,
0: whatever that looks like. Sounds like fun. Catherine, what are your picks?
4: All right. My first pick is a book I read last weekend. Um, it is Ellen Powell's book, Reset. Um, and it's all about her uh, experiences in the tech industry, especially her time at the VC firm Kleiner Perkins and the resulting lawsuit for discrimination. Um, and it's a really interesting read. It's a quick read too. Um, and I'd I, I learned a lot from it. I think it's a really valuable read. Um, and my second pick, Chuck, you actually made me think of this because uh, that niche in meetups that was kind of missing for mid-level, mid-level developers, I felt that in San Francisco as well. And so um, a- friend and I started up a meetup in San Francisco for mid-level engineers and developers that identify as female. um, Although anyone is welcome to attend and it's called Women Level Up and it's the last Monday of every month. Um, So I'll put the link for that in the show notes.
1: Awesome. Eric, what are your picks? Uh, I got a couple. Uh, the first one is a new uh, advertiser on CodeFund. and I normally don't do this, but I really like what they're doing. Um, they are, and it's it's relevant to what we're talking about. It's hackajob.co. And what Hackajob does is they provide a way. It so they target, um, they target uh, uh, the UK, right? But they help uh, UK developers find jobs, and it's a little it's it's like the ethical recruitment process for. For developers where you can actually fill out who you are do exercises really get a profile and then companies come to you and and try and hire you and it's if if you're new to the ruby field and or you're or you're not and you're looking for a job in the uk they seem like an excellent option uh, the second one i have is a, a a book that i recently bought um if if i mean i think I, a, a few of you know me very personally and and know that i've uh, suffered with anxiety and depression over the last forever. And, uh, recently I kind of had, uh, uh, something come up with, a, with a, a partner of mine in my business. And, uh, he's like, dude, you need to chill the F out. And <laughs> I'm like, huh? So, so I bought this book <laughs> called, called, uh, the subtle art of not giving enough an um and i've been re- i've been devouring this and it's so interesting this book has has really i mean it's you know the self-help books help people a lot but this one has really put things into perspective for me and and made me realize that the majority of my stress and anxiety is self-inflicted and so now i've like prescribed myself at least one golf outing during work hours a week and um and just not carrying it all after hours and focusing just on what's important to me, which is my family. So anyway, great book. I would check it out if you haven't read it or heard it already.
0: Yeah, Eric and I have been talking about uh, helping him fill that prescription on and out together. So we'll we'll have to do that here within the next week or so. You you just tease
1: me, but you never actually follow through.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I was out of town last week and this week filled up. So true. Um, I'm gonna jump in with a few picks as well. So as as some of you may have noticed, I've been on the last few episodes of the show. Um, and basically I I kind of hit burnout hard. And um I was stressed out about a lot of different things. And most of those things didn't go away (laughs) when I took the time (laughs) off. But um a few of the things I did, one was just sit down and write some code. Um, which I for me, you know, most people are like, oh, that's not relaxing, or I do that for work. But most of what I wind up doing for work is uh managing processes for the podcasts. So for me it was relaxing, it was a change of pace, and sometimes that's what you need. And so I did that for about a week and then the the next thing I did is we went on a family vacation. And we went on a family vacation with my wife's whole family. Um she has uh three siblings and two step siblings. And so her her parents were there, her stepdad was there, all of her, you know. I think there were uh, 38 people in the house we were in. Um, but it was it was nice, I mean. Um We went down to the lake and played in the lake with the kids. We, you know, if I wanted a nap any other day of the week, you know, except for that Wednesday where we were at the lake, I just went and crashed. And sometimes that's what you need too. So sometimes you need something that's a little bit of structure, a little bit of creativity, and sometimes you just need to be able to do whatever you want without all the structure. And so I got a little bit of both, and that's been really, really nice. So, um, you know, you're, you're most of you work for companies that will give you vacation days. So make sure that you, take a minute. And, you know, if, if you have to go off by yourself or if it's better, if you spend time with family, I mean, we're all different. We all kind of recharge differently, but just get, get that change of pace, you know, do something a little bit different, a little bit of fun, a little bit of, um, you know, whatever it is that you need and make sure that you're taking care of yourselves. Um, you know, I'm back, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to jump in and do some of the stuff I've done. Um, I picked up a sponsor that wants a whole lot more information than I currently gather. So I have about a week start gathering it before their episodes go live. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's all of that kind of thing, you know, so I'm I'm ready to jump back in and tackle some of this stuff that's been sitting out there for a while, that I just haven't had the time or energy to, to handle. And so I, I think, you know, I think Eric's prescriptions are good. Um, I haven't read the book, but golfing definitely helps. So, um, anyway, so that's, that's kind of my thoughts. Um, Mindogas,
2: what are your picks? Yeah, yeah. I also have two picks. And first I want to say that I absolutely agree with you. Not taking vacation is not a badge of honor. So my first pick is scaling teams. So this year at Vintage, we're hiring uh, quite a lot. So I I learned through reading books. So I decided to read a book on scaling teams. It's called Scaling Teams. Very, very convenient. And I've learned quite a lot of things through it. It's not just about hiring but has all sorts of lessons that are useful to any growing company. And what I absolutely agree from that book, it's not about just hiring great people, it's about building great teams. And my second pick is more tech related. So when I write more than a sentence anywhere, I use Wim. Uh, so if I'm writing a longer message on Slack, I hop onto Wim, I write that paragraph, and I copy-paste it back into Slack. And that's not terribly convenient. So what I found is Vim Anywhere. It's a project by CK Nadler, I think. Uh, you're going to find that link in the show notes. And it's, it makes opening up Vim Anywhere really convenient and makes my writing process much, much easier. And that's my picks. Awesome. Well, if, if folks wanna go work for Vinted, uh, I guess we asked where to find you online, but yeah, if, if people wanna go work for you, where do they find you? Uh, they can go to vinted.com slash jobs and uh, everything is there.
0: All right, sounds good. Well, thanks for coming and talking to us. This was really interesting and hopefully we give some people some ideas as far as how they can find the people that they wanna work with. Yeah, yeah. and I,
2: I for one also learned uh, a couple of things from talking to you guys. Well, good. All right, well, we'll wrap this one up and we will catch everybody next week. All right.
0: Thank you. you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y dot com to learn more.